Matthew chapter 19, verses 23 through 30. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Now we're going to pick up our study in the middle of the story we were studying last week. The rich young man had just come to ask Jesus what he should do to have eternal life. And let me just remind you, and we're going to look at a couple quick scriptures that talk about that. Salvation is not by what we do or what we have, but it's actually accomplished by acknowledging what we don't have. We have a tendency, and you're going to see that tendency creep into the church tonight. We're going to talk about that a little bit. We have a tendency to still think we have to earn it, that there has to be some, something that we bring to the table. I preached uh, a message last Thursday night at the uh, homeless shelter, CETA, and was preaching on forgiveness. And after the message, a man came up to me and he said, he said, uh, he goes, I don't have any problem forgiving my brother. He said, my problem is really accepting God's forgiveness because I don't feel worthy. You ever felt that way? Well, let me just say something to you. If you even tie your worthiness to it, you're still thinking you have to earn it. And I reminded this man, I said, look, you're not worthy nor will you be worthy. And if you were worthy, it's not grace. So we've got to get rid of this attitude that says, I don't feel worthy. You're, if you're worthy, you've brought some kind of merit to the table. We have nothing. Salvation is not by what we do or what we have. We bring nothing to the table. Go real quick again to Matthew chapter 5. And let me remind you of what Jesus said in verses 1 through 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. It says in Matthew 5, verse 1, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Go real quickly to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 7. It's a passage we're going to look at again later on tonight. But in Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 7, look what the scripture says. It says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope 
of eternal life. So again, the rich young ruler had just come and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? If you remember from our study last week, Jesus brought him to the law to show him he could do nothing. And there was no merit that he had. He couldn't keep the law. Unfortunately, the young man still thought he was doing pretty good, but he even sensed his lack. What do I still lack? And if you remember from our study last week, Jesus said, go and sell everything you have, give it to the poor and come and follow me. And we looked at how he had summed up the law and the prophets into two things. Love your neighbor as yourself and love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And remember, the rich young ruler went away sad, sorrowful, because he knew the decision he was making, and he had great possessions. Jesus showed him that his heart was more in love with his money and his possessions than he was in love with God. Go back to Matthew, but go to chapter 6 and look at verses 19 through 21. Again, another passage we're going to be referencing a couple of times tonight. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21 I'm going to start laying a foundation for you scripturally tonight that will help us with the curveball that's coming at the halfway point of our study. But in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, Jesus is teaching and he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There's a few things here we're going to pull out real quick. The first thing I want you to see is this. Jesus is telling us to not store up stuff here. Don't make things in this life your treasure. And he then says, let me just remind you, uh, if you store up stuff here on the earth, uh, rust is going to get to it. Moths are going to destroy it. Thieves are going to take it. those, I don't know how many of you live on the beach side. You know, Tuesday night group have a bigger crowd of the beach side folks. But for those of us that live on the beach side, let me just tell you something. If you live on the beach side, you will re- replace the outside air conditioning unit every three to five years. As nice as it is to live on the island, the salt air is so bad that your outside unit, if it's on the east side of your house, it will not last three to five. If you get one to last five years, you've done really, really well. And I remember when our kids were little, we could actually count almost to the day how long the basketball goal was going to make it in the driveway. It was a year and a half. And it was almost to the point where you'd say, you know what, better go move the car because that thing's going to fall down today when the wind blows because it would just rust away. That's just part of it. And, but Jesus says, don't store up stuff. Don't make your treasures here where rust gets at it and moths destroy and thieves can steal it. And then he says, look, store up treasure in heaven where it'll be there and it will never be lost. But then he makes this interesting statement at the end. He says, because where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. Where was the rich young ruler's heart? On his treasure, where was his treasure? Here. He had great possessions and his treasure was here and he wasn't willing to give it up in order to follow Jesus. Now, as we saw last week, Jesus then pointed out that the rich in this world have a harder time entering the kingdom of God than the poor because they have more to distract them and pull them away from pure devotion to Christ. Let me just quickly just say, for years we've heard different people teach on what Jesus says in Matthew 19 here about the camel and the eye of a needle. I personally don't think a lot of the stuff we've heard is really true. I think Jesus was just simply saying it's harder for a camel to go through an eye of a needle. For you people say, there was this place that was called the eye of the needle and the camel had to crawl through. Do a little study and you'll find out. Good luck finding it. But actually, there was a very common phrase over in the Middle Eastern area. We talked about an elephant going through an eye of a needle. 
Jesus most likely just used an, an animal that was big in their culture, a camel, because they didn't have elephants in the area of Israel. They, they used to probably used to just a camel. And he was simply said, it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And of course, the disciples knew exactly what he was saying. And what was their reaction? He says, well, who then? They said, who can be saved? But what I don't want you to miss, though, because that's very important for where we're going tonight, is that those who have more in this life have more to distract them and pull them away from full devotion, pure devotion to Christ. Go to James chapter 2. Let's take a look at a couple of things along this line, because you're going to see tonight that God is going to be telling us to lay up and store up treasure in heaven. He wants us to look for the reward to come and the life to come. But he wants us also at the same time to have a pure, holy non-distracted devotion to Christ. So we're going to try to put that all together tonight. In James chapter 2, look at verse 5. James says, Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? Look closely at what he says. Those of us in this world who don't have a whole lot of stuff, we actually are rich in faith. You know why? Go ahead. Why? That's all you got. That's it. When you got other things to put your faith in, it's harder for you to have faith in God. But when you don't have anything else to lean on, when God's all you got, he's all you got. By the way, um, do you realize that money makes the same promises God does? Money makes all the same promises God does. I'll be there for you. I'll take care of you. I'll provide for you. When you're in trouble, you can lean on me. Money makes all the same promises that God does. The only problem is money can't keep it. Money can't keep those promises like God can. Yeah. Here, the Bible says he's chosen that those who are poor financially in this world are rich in faith. Go to James chapter 1. Look at verse 12. James chapter 1, verse 12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Now look closely at the two verses we just looked at, James 1, 12 and James 5, uh, 2, 5. Tell me what is the same in both. Jeremy, you can't because you were at Bible study last night. What's the same in both passage? Passages. I'm sorry? Do you see it? Look at James chapter 2, verse 5. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Those who love him. Those who love him. Folks, I don't want you to miss this. The Bible's very, very clear and very, very serious about the fact that it says that we need to have a full devotion to Christ. For those who love him. Not those who love what he can do for them. Those who love him. Where he's the center of all things in their lives. Go to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. Luke chapter 12, yes, starting in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. 
But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I'll I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I'll store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward who? Toward God. Folks, it's not just having faith that God's died for your sins. God's wanting us to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. A pure devotion to Christ. And I'm going I'm to challenge you tonight to allow the Spirit of God to continue that work. Remember the homework assignment I gave you last week about asking God in your daily study to a little bit more each day as he knows you can handle. Open your eyes to the depth of what it is that you've given, his love for you. And the more you understand the fullness of what you've received in your salvation and how much he loves you, the more you're going to fall in love with him. And the more you fall in love with him, the more your heart just follows there. By the way, I'm not going to have you turn there, but if you want to write it down, look at it later on or double check me. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 32 through 35. Paul's talking about the married and the unmarried there. And he talks a little bit about the fact that the single people actually have an advantage because they can have a pure devotion to Christ. They're not torn by trying to please their husband or their wife. They have a full devotion to Christ. And again, the scripture is very, very clear that we are to be in love with Jesus. Now, in our passage for tonight, though, interestingly enough, we see Peter quickly point out to Jesus that they have left everything to follow him. He's just said, it's hard for a rich person to get into heaven. And they said, well, who then can be saved? And, and he said, with, with man, that's impossible. To be saved by man's effort or man anything, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. And then Jesus, uh, Peter says to Jesus, oh, by the way, in case you haven't noticed, We've left everything for you. I love that about Peter. I love, I'm going to be honest. I want to show hands tonight. How many of you have ever wondered if God was really paying attention to what you had done sacrifice wise? You know, have you ever had that thought? Like, I hope he's noticing. I wonder if he's noticing. I, I, I do that a lot with my wife, by the way. She doesn't like it. But when I do something like, like put, take the trash out without being asked or put the dishes in the dishwasher, I always point out so I can get the points, you know, hey, And she always tells me, when you point it out, you lose the points. But I just want to make sure you saw that I did it, you know, that kind of a thing. Now that it's, it we're empty nesters, it's easier because it wasn't her. It had to have been me. So I'm getting better at not having to point it out as much. But I want to show you a few things about what we just looked at here with Peter saying, uh, Jesus, did you notice we've left everything to follow you? What, and then he says, what will there be for us? Don't miss that part of the point as well. We'll get to that in a second. I'm going to show you three things about that. First off, Scripture shows that they did leave everything to follow him. Go back to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, look at verses 18 through 22. In Matthew chapter 4 and verse 18, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. 
And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Some translations in some of the Gospels of the Jesus calling his disciples say it this way. They left everything and followed him. Even left dad. They just took off to follow Jesus. Secondly, not only did the scripture show that they did leave everything to follow him, Jesus knows what we have and what we don't have. He also knows how much we've given up. Go to Mark chapter 12. Go to Mark 12 and look at verses 41 through 44. I'm going to say that to you again. Jesus knows what we have and what we don't have, and he knows how much we've given up. Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44. And Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him, and he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. How did Jesus know? How did he know that that was all that she had to live on? He's God. That's the right answer. He's God. He knows. By the way, that's how, because of the spirit of Christ within Peter, that Peter knew Ananias and Sapphira were lying about the amount that they had brought to the church, pretending it was the whole amount. They weren't sinning by bringing portion of the money. They were sinning by pretending that they had brought the whole amount. But the Holy Spirit in Peter, who's God himself, knew that they were lying. He knows. Folks, you don't have to keep pointing it out to Jesus. Do you realize what I just did there? Do you notice? He knows. He knows. But also, I don't want you to miss this either. Jesus doesn't rebuke Peter for asking about a future reward. In our passage in Matthew 19, Peter says, we've left everything. What will there be for us? What will be our reward? Jesus doesn't rebuke Peter for asking about a future reward, but he promises it will come. Actually, and I'm going to show you this from the scriptures, Jesus promises future reward for those who are willing not to live for this life and are willing to give up things in this life in view of the life to come. He promises future reward. I want you to see this from the scriptures because it's important that we see it, but it's also going to be tied to our curveball that's coming up. All right. Now, first off, I remember growing up in a little church in New Hampshire where the older ladies always said, I don't care about future reward. I'm just glad I'm going to heaven. That's enough for me. And I thought they were spiritual ladies until I realized the Bible says that we are to be concerned about future reward. We're to be storing it up. The Bible talks about future reward. You're going to see, I'm just going to give you just a few passages that deal with it. Go back to Matthew 19. Look at again at verse 29. In Matthew 19, verse 29, Jesus is speaking and he says, Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive how much? A hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But then he adds, but many who are first will be last and the last first. Jump over to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, look at verses 32 through 39. The Bible is very, very clear that God promises reward in the life to come. Hebrews 10 verses 32 through 39. 
The Hebrew writer says, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised for yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my full soul will have no pleasure in him. But we're not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. But again, look closely. The scripture says, you guys, you lost when you became Christians. Many of you lost possessions or you were right alongside with people who did and lost family and lost relationships because of their devotion to Christ. But it's okay because you knew that you were receiving a better possession in the life to come and an abiding one. Remember how the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and following, Praise be to our God and Father of Lord Jesus Christ in his great mercy. He's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for us. Remember, we're storing up treasure in heaven where the rust can't ever get it, the moths won't touch it, the thieves won't touch it. The reward that is yours is there and secure, and we're to be looking for it. Jump over to chapter 11 of Hebrews. Look at verses 8 through 10. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Before I go any further, how many of us, when God's challenging us to walk in obedience, have said, well, how's it going to work out? Can I just see what it's going to look like first, and then I'll decide? Abraham was called to leave his family, to leave his land, to leave his possessions and go to a land that God would show him. And he had no idea where it was going to be or what it would even look like. And as you know from the story, when it came to that place and they were there and he had to split up with Lot and his, his guys, he was so trusting in God's future for him. He wasn't even really looking at this land as the one that God had in mind. And he let Lot, you choose whatever you want. I'll go in the other direction. Of course, Lot looked at it, this life. Keep reading. He went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. As much as you hopefully remember, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob never received the promise yet. That land being given to them, it never happened in their lifetime. They all died. The land wasn't given to Israel until the time of Moses and Joshua. But God promised, if you go back and look, I could take you through, we don't have time, I could take you back into Genesis chapter 12 and chapter 13 and chapter 15 and chapter 17 and chapter 18, and I could keep going, and I could show you how God says to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, each of them, I'm going to give to you and your descendants this land. But they never received it. They never received it. When, when Sarah died, Abraham had to buy a piece of property. I thought the land was his. No, he had to purchase a piece of property to bury his wife. Why? Because they lived in that land that he was promised to inherit later on as a foreigner. They lived in tents. They were strangers in the foreign land. Why? Because they were waiting for that day when the, the land that they were going to be given was the one that God designed and God built. 
And that day's still coming. Jump over to chapter 11, verses 24 through 26. Look at Moses. In Hebrews eleven twenty four. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to what? The reward. He was looking forward to the reward. We already know Matthew 6, 19 through 21 to store up treasure in heaven because that's where your heart's going to follow. Go to Galatians chapter 6. Look at verse 9. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. And let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Go to Revelation chapter 22. Look at verse 12. Revelation 22, verse 12. Jesus is speaking here, and he says, Behold, I'm coming soon. I'm coming quickly. Bringing my recompense. Now, some of your translations don't say recompense. What do they say? Reward. Bringing my reward with me to repay each one for what he has done. Folks, the Bible's very clear that we Christians... Even though we are not going to be judged whether or not we've sinned or not sinned because we've been forgiven of all of our sins and we're already guaranteed eternal life in heaven, we will face a judgment when we finish this life. The Bible calls it the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat. And we will actually, when he comes and raptures his church or at that time that after, we may have died prior to the rapture, but at the time of the rapture, when he brings all believers that are with Christ, with him, to come gather those who are on the earth, we'll go be with him. And we're going to experience the, what the Bible calls is the Bema seat or the judgment seat of Christ, where we'll each be judged according to what we have done after salvation whether good or worthless. You say, Jim, where's that? I'm glad you asked that question. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're to be looking for the future reward. Now again, stay with me because I'm about to throw you a curveball. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look at verses 1 through 10. Paul says, for we know, 2 Corinthians 5, 1, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would further be clothed, so that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit, His Holy Spirit, as a guarantee. So we're always of good courage. We know that while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we're of good courage, and we'd rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. That word actually translated evil actually could be translated worthless. You know, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that there's going to be that at the judgment, everything we've done after salvation is going to be tested by fire. And if it survives the test of the fire, we'll be receive a reward. And if it's burnt up because it wasn't done by God, we'll suffer loss. Folks, let me say this to you. 
Jesus did not rebuke Peter when he said, what will there be for us? He promised a hundredfold, and he's been telling all through the scriptures that when he comes, his reward is going to be with him, and he wants us to be storing up treasure in heaven. He even tells these guys that they're going to, in the future, sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. For the sake of time, I'm not going to have you turn there, but if you look at it later on, Revelation chapter 20, Revelation 20, verses 1 through 6, the scripture actually talks about the fact that during the millennial kingdom, during that thousand years that Satan is bound and in the pit, people are going to come to life and they're going to rule and reign on the earth with Jesus. We too are going to do the same. Not only will the Jews or the, the, apostles, the 12 apostles be judging the Jews and 12 tribes of Israel, there's going to be a Gentile branch of government. We've already done that whole study in the Revelation study. And we who are in the church, according to whether or not we've earned it, whether or not God is going to reward us with that, some of us will be given the ability to rule and reign with Christ. Revelation chapter 3, verses 21 and 22, Jesus says to him who conquers, to him who overcomes, I will grant him that he can sit on the throne with me just like I sat on my father's throne. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12 says, if we are willing to die with him, we'll reign with him. We have that opportunity. Let me show you something that a lot of people don't fully understand. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul's dealing with some people in the church there in Corinth that he heard of taking each other to court. They're suing each other. In 1 Corinthians 6, look at what he just says here in verses 1 through 3. He says, when one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? In the life to come, in the world to come. Remember Jesus said that in Matthew 19 in our passage. In the new world, in the world to come, you 12 are going to sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel during the millennial kingdom. We are going to rule and reign with Christ according to whether or not we're rewarded in that way, how faithful we've been. And we're going to not only rule on the earth and judge people in the world, we're actually going to rule and judge angels. Pretty crazy, isn't it? We were just thinking, I just want to go to heaven. Oh, there's so much more. There's so much more. So my question is this. Are you in full devotion to Christ? Are you living for this life? Are you living for the next? Go to Colossians chapter 3 real quick. Actually, you're in 1 Corinthians. Jump over to 2 Corinthians, then we'll go to Colossians. You're in 1 Corinthians right now. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, look at verses 16 through 18. It says, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day, for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen, they're transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Go to Colossians chapter 3, look at verses 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory.
All right, have we got the foundation laid? That we're to be in full devotion to Christ? We're to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're to love our neighbor as ourselves. We are to be living not for this life, but for the life to come. We're to be looking for the reward. He's not upset when we look for the reward. Here comes the curveball. And it's in the very next section of Matthew. Go to chapter 20. I'm going to read to you the last verse of 19, and we're going to get into 20 and verses 1 through 16. Remember the last verse? Verse 30 of Matthew 19, but many who are first will be last and the last first. Chapter 20 of Matthew, verse 1, for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And, he, and to them, he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now, when those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. Now I'm going to show you tonight that this parable is tied to where we just left off. Jesus just promised reward for those who give up their plans for this life and follow Christ and his plans. And a natural tendency would be to use this information to compete with each other for future reward. You've all heard the jokes about the people riding in Cadillacs and riding skateboards. If you haven't, I'm not going to tell them to you. But let me point something out to you, and I want you to see this. We are to be looking for the life to come. We are to be expecting a reward. We are to be living for that. But to think for a second that you have earned any of those rewards would be to miss the point. That not only is your salvation a gift from God that you didn't earn, we would all agree with that, right? That your salvation is not anything you did, you were given that as a gift. Any eternal reward is the same thing. You know why? Because you're only going to be rewarded for what he's done for you. Nothing that you've done. Go real quick to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I want you to see it. We're about to touch on some attitudes, unfortunately, though, in the church today that show we really don't understand this. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, again, Paul's dealing with some problems in the church in Corinth. They're jockeying for position. They're saying this guy's a better preacher than that guy. We like this guy better than that guy. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, he said, This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it's required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, listen closely, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I have applied all these things to myself and to Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? And if then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Folks, listen to me, and we're going to lay this out the rest of the time we have tonight from the scriptures. Your salvation is a gift of God. It's not of your works. It's, it's totally by his grace, correct? Your reward that he wants you to be storing up in heaven is totally by the grace of God. He chooses to give it to you, and he's going to reward you, but everything he rewards you for will be only what you have let him do through you, not anything you've done. So what happens, though, is, as we start thinking, as you're about to see a little bit later here, we start thinking like those guys in the vineyard that those of us who have been faithful for more years down here are worthy of more reward than those like the thief on the cross who was saved at the last minute. Subconsciously, there's an attitude in the back of all of our minds that those of us who have been faithful in this life are going to be rewarded more than those who were saved at the last minute because we've been working harder. We've stored up more. And God says, let me blow that up too. Anything you get that I'm telling you to store up is still all by my grace. Because you haven't earned it. You haven't done it. It's been me. Oh, and by the way, anything you think you've done not going to make it through the test of the fire. By the way, I've been a pastor long enough to know. I've, has anybody ever heard this phrase in the church? I'm a charter member. And don't those people tend to act like they have privileges because they've been here longer. I've been working more. I should be listened to more. I should be respected more because I've been here the longest. I've worked the hardest. I've been through the good years and the bad years of this church. I've, 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 I've. We tend to always want to gravitate, uh, gravitate toward what we think is fair. Just like these people. When, remember the first time I ever saw this parable in Matthew 20? I was the same way. I was like... It's not fair. Those guys worked all day in the heat. These, one, these guys, uh, they only worked an hour and they got paid the same amount. Well, let me just say this to you. You really don't want things to be fair. Because if things were fair, there would be no mercy. There would be no grace. 
I'm going to ask you a question, and I want you to answer honestly. Is it fair that we get to go to heaven because Jesus was punished for our sins? Not even close, is it? Is it fair that we'll be rewarded for eternity for righteous acts that were actually done by God himself through us? But we start thinking like we've earned it. You need to have an attitude that says, yes, I'm living for the life to come. Yes, I'm looking to the reward. But when I receive that reward, I don't want to ever think for a second that I've earned it. It's by his grace. And one of the best ways that you'll know that you'll really understand that it's by his grace is if he chooses in his generosity to give you who have served him for 50 years the same amount in heaven as someone who gets saved for the last hour. He says to him, look, I'm not unjust. Have I not given you what I agreed? Didn't we agree on a denarius a day and I paid you what I said? Your issue really isn't with my unfairness. Your issue is, what did Jesus say? Your issue is with my what? My generosity. You have a problem with my grace. Why do you have a problem with his grace? Because you still, without realizing it, we all gravitate back toward earning it. You've got to let the Holy Spirit on a daily basis renew your mind. Your salvation wasn't earned, and your eternal reward is not earned. It's given to you by God and his grace. Now, go to Luke chapter 15. Look at verses 25 through 32. This is the second half of the, what we call the story of the prodigal son. I'd much rather call the story of the loving father because he's the real center of the story. In Luke 15, verses 25 through 32, it says, The older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry, and he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. I've never missed a Sunday. I, have, I was on the cradle roll. I, 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 I have missed a tithe. I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you're always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The older brother who had been, quote unquote, in our definition, faithful and committed, showed by his attitude that he really didn't understand the heart of the father and he did not have the same heart as the father because the heart, father's heart toward the other brother was a heart of love and forgiveness and mercy. And he also still thought that he had to earn the father's acceptance and pleasure. And the father says to him, everything I have is already yours. How's it to be received? By working for it? Or by what? By faith and by grace. Folks, let me just say something to you. Your flesh is going on a daily basis, try to earn points. 
We all would agree that our salvation we didn't earn. We got that one. But we still kind of think that our salvation is kind of earned. Because you all agreed tonight already that sometimes you just don't feel worthy. You're still trying to earn it. And even after salvation, we are utterly looking for the reward. And I've shared with you before, as a preacher, I never liked Revelation chapter 4, where it said that we're going to take our crowns and lay them at his feet because I, I've been working for those crowns. I knew my salvation was a gift and I didn't earn it, but all that stuff that I'm going to be rewarded for, I've been busting my fanny. And God one day opened my eyes to the truth that whatever he gives me a crown for, I didn't do. And I'll have no problem on that day taking it and saying, this is for you. Oh, has anybody caught on yet? Why we should be looking to store up treasure in heaven then? If it's not because we'll be rewarded for what we've done? Has anybody caught on yet? Who's going to be getting the glory for what was done through us in the life to come? The one who did it. And the more that you allow him to do and the more he rewards for you is the bigger present that you get to give to Jesus on that day. Do you see it? Go real quick. You're going to get something last night didn't get. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Start in verse 3. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Remember, everything he that he has is ours. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he's blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood for the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he's lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory in him. You also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Jump over to chapter 2. Look at verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among all whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he's loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and he's raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Don't miss this last part here. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. 
in eternity, when every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord, when we're rewarded for all that God was allowed to do through us, it's all to the praise of Jesus Christ. It's all to the praise of his glory. You want to store up treasure in heaven. It's not so that you get a bigger house and a bigger car and a bigger Winnebago. You're storing up treasure in heaven so that on that day when people get to bring to Jesus the gifts of worship and thanks and appreciation, you can say, you did it. And you get to give him more. Can you imagine on that day, if you were living for self, but saved by his grace? The Bible says there are going to be those who make it just as those escaping through the fire. They're going to suffer loss. Can you imagine on that day when it's, everybody comes and brings to Jesus what he was allowed to do through them as a gift? And all you're going to go is, here. It's a big lighter. It's a tie. I digress. Never mind. Go to Luke. Go to Luke chapter 17. Look at verses 7 through 10. Maybe this passage is all of a sudden going to make so much more sense. Luke 17, verses 7 through 10. Jesus says, Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he's come in from the field, Come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you'll eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what he was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We've only done what was our duty. Your attitude should be, I just did what I was asked to do. It's about you. And not about me. Am I to be looking for the reward? Yes, the Bible says to be looking for the reward. But the reason is, is because the reward really isn't going to be bringing glory to me. The reward's going to be bringing glory to Jesus. You're going to see this attitude continue when we get into next week's study where the disciples were jockeying for position still and who can sit on your right and who can sit on your left. And Jesus had to teach them about how the Gentiles lord their authority over them. But it shouldn't be that way with you. But each of you, if you want to be in leadership, you need to be the servant of all. Folks, our attitude in the church and our attitude in the world as Christians should be not comparing ourselves with the people around us to build ourselves up, but actually having the heart of the Father to those around us. Let me just chase a rabbit real quick with what's going on in our world right now, with the chaos that's happening, with the rioting. It's really easy, and unfortunately, I've heard a lot of Christians spend a lot of time sitting in groups, grumbling about what's happening in the world, complaining about those people. Let me just say something to you. Is that the heart that the Father has for those people? No, it's not. You might even say, I have righteous indignation. Yeah, but you're demonstrating it in an unrighteous way. As you sit around and complain and gripe and complain about how the politics are, are involved in all this kind of stuff, and all you're really doing is building yourself up compared to others, and that's not the heart of the Father. The Bible says that the demonstration of the Spirit's evidence in our lives will be seen by love and joy and peace and patience, gentleness, self-control, kindness, Folks, let me just say something to you. Aren't we glad that Paul was saved? Paul was a terrorist. 
Paul was a looter. He was going town to town with permission from the authorities to have people dragged off to prison and put to death. But Jesus loved him so much that he sought him out. And he reached out to him. And aren't we glad that God saved Paul? You're going to see Paul understood that as well. We must understand this balance. The issue that they had is with Jesus' generosity. When God is generous to someone whom we think didn't work as hard as we have, we're showing that we still think salvation is earned in some way, or at least we should get paid for what we do. And we show that we really don't truly understand grace. We've got to understand this balance, folks. God tells us to live for the life to come and to store up treasure in heaven. Yet, even though he will reward us for faithful service, it's God who produced the fruit through us. And we should never think that he owes us and definitely never owes us in comparison to our brothers since all of this is by his grace. There was a lady at First Baptist Church in the Atlantic when I was pastor there that I used to always jokingly say to her, her name was Mickey Bag one of the most godly ladies you've ever met. I'd always jokingly say to Mickey, when we get to heaven, I hope my house isn't next door to yours. And she'd say, why? I go, because yours mansion is going to be so much bigger than mine. I don't want to live next door seeing how big yours is compared to mine. And it always made her uncomfortable. Now I understand why. Mickey's not going to be rewarded for all that Mickey did. If she gets a big house, it's by the grace of Jesus Christ. And she didn't want to ever compare her house to mine because that means it was something she did and she didn't like that. It didn't make her feel comfortable. I understand Mickey a whole lot more now. So what I want to do in the time we have left, we just got six minutes left, is I want to show you how the scriptures real quickly balance this. Let me give you three passages of scripture. Go to Hebrews chapter 6. This is the balance of living for the reward, yet at the same time never thinking the reward is anything we've done. Go to Hebrews chapter 6. It's actually described very, very well here. Hebrews 6 verses 10 through 12. Hebrews 6 verses 10 through 12. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints. Do you see it? God knows. He pays attention. He knows what you've given up as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. God's not ignoring the fact that you've worked. He's not ignoring what you've done and what you've allowed him to do through you. Go to Romans chapter 11. We'll start in verse 33 and go all the way to chapter 12, verse 8. Romans 11, starting in verse 33. Don't miss what Paul says here. It says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who's been his counselor? Don't miss this. Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? In other words, what does God owe you? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. 
I appeal to you, therefore, because of this, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have different parts, and the parts don't all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If it's prophecy, use them in proportion to your faith. If it's service, in serving. In the one who teaching, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Paul says, look, first off, it's all about God. He's got the plan. This is his world. He put it all in motion. He already knows the beginning and the end. He has it all laid out. It's about him. And we're on a daily basis to just offer ourselves as living sacrifices because of his mercy. He's allowed us to be a part of what he's doing. He's going to reward us for stuff we didn't even do. He's granted us eternal life, which we didn't earn or deserve. And it's all about him. Therefore, on a daily basis, you have to renew your mind, lay yourself on the altar. And when you do, he'll show you what he wants you to do. You'll never figure him out. You'll never know where he's going, but he'll show you what he wants you to do. And each of you should not ever think of yourself more highly than you ought. And I'll even remind you of that because I'm giving you a command, but I'm only giving you a command according to the grace given to me. The role that God's given me, that's the, by the, the grace given to me. I say to you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. And just as a body has different parts and they don't have the same function, we in Christ are all different parts of the body. And we shouldn't expect anybody to be like us. And we shouldn't compare each other because you're comparing apples to oranges when you compare a foot to a hand or a mouth to an eye. All this stuff, it's silliness. You go and live the life that God has for you. You take your eyes off all the people around you. And you don't care if you've been here 30 years and they've been here one. It makes no difference. It's all about him and his plan. And when you catch yourself comparing, complaining, judging, you've moved out of that understanding of grace and mercy. And you become the older brother. And you think you've earned something. You need to humble yourself and go back to being reminded it's all about him. Yeah, I didn't get picked for that, but my father loves me and everything that I have will be mine. And everything that he doesn't want for me is good, that I don't get it. When you rest in that, all of a sudden you'll become attractive to the people around you and they'll ask you to give reason for the hope that lies within you. We're going to close with 1 Timothy chapter 1. I want you to see this. Remember that terrorist? We were praising God that he got saved. Well, listen to what he says here in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Verses 12 through 17, Paul understood. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17, Paul says, I thank him who has given me strength, Jesus Christ our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. Now, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, 
as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. It's all about him. Are we to be living for the life to come and storing up treasure in heaven? Yes. Is that because we're going to one day prove to everybody how hard we worked? No. Because on that day that we're rewarded, it'll be all about Jesus and all that he was allowed to do through us. And the more treasure you have in heaven, the more reward you get to give to Jesus, the more glory you get to give to Jesus. I love you guys. We'll see you next week. Thanks for coming.